0: The title of the message this morning is the book of Second Peter. The book of Second Peter, this is part five. Now, last time, we looked at the second half of chapter two. You may recall that that dealt, the whole chapter two, dealt a lot with the aspect of false teachers. Today, we will look at the first half of chapter three, Chapter three is our final chapter that we are looking at. And that will mean the next time will be our very last time as we've gone through First Peter. There was nine parts, and second Peter six parts. So uh, praise the Lord. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-based church. Amen. And we're also crazy about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Good. So, three key lessons. I'd just like to pray first. Lord, I genuinely yield myself to you. I pray that I would minister under the anointing of the Lord, under the flow of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, three key lessons that we learned last time. Three key lessons. Firstly, we learned that the Apostle Peter spoke very harshly against false teachers in order to protect the body of Christ. Can you remember, he didn't mince his words, he gave it to them straight, (laughs) and he told and warned about false teachers. And one of the reasons why I believe Peter was so passionate about this is because many years earlier, Jesus had spoken to Peter, and he said, Peter, if you love me, take care of my people, my flock, love them, feed them. Love on them. Be there. And Peter took that challenge of Jesus seriously. And many years later, what is he doing? He's protecting the flock. He's feeding the flock. He's looking after the flock. And that's why he spoke so harshly against false teachers. The second key lesson we learned last time is that you can know if somebody is a false teacher by examining their behavior and the fruit of their lives. And Peter went into great detail, almost like, did he have to go into so much detail describing the behavior of false teachers? But yes, he did. He went into great detail so that you can see, oh, those manners of behavior indicate it's a false teacher. And also, that we look at the fruit of a person's life and determine if it's genuine or if it's not genuine. And Jesus said that you will know them by their fruit. You will not know them by their slick white suit, you will know them not by their cool website. You will know them not by their crowds, you will know them by their fruit. The third key lesson we learned last time is that false teachers will face a terrible ending of blackest darkness. There will be severe destruction. You do not mess around with God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, you ready for our passage today? Here we go. 2 Peter 3 and verse 1 to 9. We're looking at these verses from the New King James Version. And Peter starts off and he uses this word, beloved. Isn't that lovely, that word, beloved? Would you say beloved? Beloved. Peter had a love for the people of God. Do you have a love for the congregation? Do you have a love for those people in your small group? What does it say? It says, beloved. I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of, reminder that you may be mindful of, take note, the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. It's very interesting to me that Peter was saying, listen, you know what is very important? In these last days, it's very important that we remember what has been spoken. I would like to summarize it like this. Peter is saying, listen, if you want to not only survive, but thrive in the end times, cling to the word of God. Because he's firstly saying, take note of what the holy prophets spoke in the past. And together with that is the whole Old Testament. Peter is endorsing the Old Testament. It is needed in our lives. You cannot just read the New Testament. You need the Old Testament as well. And then Peter's also saying, take note of the commandments of us as the apostles. That would be himself, Paul, you know, uh, James, John, Luke, etc. And so he's saying, take note of these things. And those became the New Testament. And so basically Peter's saying, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you cling to it. And I remind you about this so that you can be successful and victorious in the end times, cling to the word of God. Verse three, here we go. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, That by the word of God, the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of water and in the water. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word. That's the same word that spoke the world into existence. The heavens and the earth are being preserved by the same word. Are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And here he says, But beloved, there's a lack of word, ne, beloved. (laughs) But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Wow. Verse 9, the last one. The Lord is not slack. Concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Thank you, God, that you are long-suffering towards. Is long-suffering toward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we say, the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. Please keep this open as we share together today. There are three points that I'd like to share with you, and the first point I'm going to spend more time on. Number one, in the last days, mockers will say, what happened to the promise of Jesus coming again? This is what Peter is speaking about. You want to know more about the second epistle of Peter? This is a key thing he's saying here. In the last days, mockers will say, what happened to the promise of Jesus coming again? Now, look at verse three and four in your passage because it should still be open. I just want to read it from the NIV. It says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers. Would you say scoffers? It's not a very sort of contemporary word, but it means people who mock and ridicule. Scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming he promised? It's almost like they're gonna ridicule, they're gonna mock and say, hey, you Christians have been talking about Jesus coming for years and years. It's never happening. Oh, you know, it's not gonna happen. We, they mock and they speak like this, and then they add, ever since our ancestors died, Everything has gone on as it has since the beginning of creation. And so these scoffers will laugh at the truth. They think they know better. They're puffed up. They're full of themselves. But they are completely mistaken. So it says that scoffers will come. So my little question here is, when will scoffers come? The Bible says that in the last days, now, can I ask you? Let's be honest for a moment. Is there a massive abundance of scoffers on the face of the earth today? They're absolutely ridiculed, derided. They couldn't give a, you know, a care about the word of God, about Jesus coming. Absolutely. And so, there are plenty of scoffers in the world today. Absolutely. But actually, this is an indication that we are living in the end of the age. If there was no scoffers, then we'd say, Yo, there's going to be a long time before Jesus comes again. But they scoffers, it indicates we're in the end of the age. Now, it is not easy, nor is it pleasant when people mock what we believe. Am I right? When they ridicule what is precious to us, that's really not nice. It hurts, it cuts. And the promise of Jesus' return is very precious to us. And here they are, they're mocking these things. But you know what? They are not just mocking us. They are mocking the truth. And that carries serious consequences. Now, I want to say this. Just because Jesus hasn't yet returned doesn't mean that he is not coming again. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. People say, yeah, he hasn't come, he hasn't come. Just because he hasn't yet returned doesn't mean he is not coming. And another thing together with that, just because the world hasn't changed much since the beginning of creation doesn't mean that cataclysmic events are not coming. They are, they're coming. People may say, yeah, the world's always been this way. Nothing much has changed, it will always continue that way. But scripturally speaking, that is correct. I wanna tell you, change is on the horizon. We know it according to the word of God. Change is on the horizon, and can I tell you this? Jesus is coming back again, child of God. Jesus is coming back again. Come on, you can applaud a little bit louder. Jesus is coming back again. Yes, he's coming back again. And you know what, I believe that this is something that needs to be declared far more often from the pulpits of the world. And I pray, let's agree together in Jesus' name that God would speak by His Spirit to pastors at this time across the entire world that they would be more determined than ever to not shrink back from declaring these things but declaring that Jesus is coming back again. He is the soon coming King, amen? Amen. It has to be heard more. It's got to be heard more. Jesus is coming back again. John 14, verse two to three, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus is no longer on earth. The Holy Spirit is on earth, and he's the most important person on earth. Jesus is in heaven, and the Father is in heaven. So he says, and, uh, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to these words, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And you've got to notice those words. You might want to underline them in your Bible. It says, I will come again. This is Jesus speaking, I will come again. I will come again. Have you ever seen it as clearly as that? These are the actual words of Jesus. And you can count on his words, folks. He is not like an earthly human man that lies. No, he's God. (laughs) And those are his words. And he says, I will come again. Would you please say to the person next to you, Jesus is coming again. Tell them that. Now, How do we deal with the ridicule that scoffers bring? What do we do when we encounter ridicule? This is what we do. We remember the scriptures. We remember the words that God has spoken, and we cling to the word of God. So when people come and tell you all sorts of garbage about what you believe, don't entertain it. You go back. To the infallible Word of God, it is infallible, and you believe what God says. God said it; I believe it, and that settles it. Now, verse five to seven, still under point one, I want to just read those few verses in the Good News Bible. It says these scoffers purposely ignore the fact that long ago, long ago, God gave a command, and the heavens and the earth were created. The earth was formed out of water and by water, and it was also by water, the water of the flood, that the old world was destroyed. But listen to this, the heavens and the earth that now exist are being preserved by the same command of God in order to be destroyed by fire. They are being kept for the day when godless people will be judged and destroyed when we think about all of this i like to make things very clear and i think well what is the same break it down make it easy what is the same the point is the following god spoke and the world came into existence the point is also that god spoke and the flood took place and also That God is ready to speak and the end will come. It comes because he declares it is time. He speaks in the same way that the worlds were created. In the same way that he said now is the time for the flood. He speaks and the end gets released. And so this is very important. God will speak and the end will come. Hear it loud and clear. So God will return. Hallelujah. He will return. He will return. He will return to claim his own and to bring judgment on the ungodly. And so I want to say in the light of this, things will not always be the same on the face of the earth. Those people that mock and ridicule, they say it's always been the same. It's always going to be the same. No, they might be sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. (laughs) Things will not always be the same. Change is coming. And you know what? The same power that sustains the world right now, because God holds it all together, the Bible says, is the same power that will bring forth the dramatic events of the end times. And it is just a matter of time until that takes place. Very interesting, one Bible commentator says the following. He says, listen, when God created the earth, he seeded it with sufficient water to destroy it. That's the flood. In the same way, he seeded the heavens and the earth with enough fire to destroy them. In this nuclear age, we understand that matter is stored up energy. The splitting of an atomic nucleus results in the fiery release of enormous quantities of energy. So, all the matter in the world represents tremendous explosive potential. At present, it is being held together by the Lord. This is according to Colossians 1 verse 17. But listen to this. If his restraining hand were to be removed, the elements would melt. In the meantime, the heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire that will come at the time of judgment. And so I want to say to you, things will not always be the same. Major events are on the horizon, and Jesus is coming again. Give the Lord a hand of praise. He's coming again. I said to you, I'd spend more time on that point. Point number two, God is the eternal God. With him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, look at verse 8 in your Bible, and I'm back to the New King James Version. It says, but beloved, there's that word again, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. (laughs) It's like, God, are you serious? (laughs) And a thousand years as one day. It seems that Peter was probably quoting from Psalm 90 verse 4. In the NIV it says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. So, you know, the day's just gone by and, and it's just brief and it's gone. And that little day, it's like a thousand years to the Lord. Also, it says in the second part of that verse, and it says, it's like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. So what is happening here? Peter is encouraging us to realize that God's timing is different from our timing. And so we might think that something must happen right now. Must happen right now. Whereas God may have planned it for later on. You might think that I must get married right now, before the end of the year. Now I'm not saying you're gonna have to wait a thousand years. Okay, just chill, take a big chill pull right there. I'm not saying you're gonna have to wait a thousand years, but I am saying this that we need to trust that God knows best. He knows best in his time and is perfect. He is the eternal God. Would you say the word eternal? He is the eternal God, the everlasting God. And one of the names of God in the Bible is Yahweh. Would you say Yahweh? It is often translated as Jehovah or Lord. And Yahweh, listen to this, is a very personal and distinctive name of the God of Israel. And of the God of the Bible. You say, John, what does Yahweh mean? It means two things. It means self-existent, and it means eternal. It means self-existent. What does self-existent mean? It means that God doesn't need anyone to keep him going. He is. He is the great I am. He is. He doesn't have to go and find that place to plug into electricity and charge himself. He doesn't need to stand in the sun to, you know, get more energy. For goodness sake, he made the sun. He is self-existing, but also he is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Now, Pastor Andre Fenta, I remember him sometime giving an example of this aspect of God being eternal. What is it like? Let me give you this quick little picture. Imagine if you have a string, and from that far right-hand side of the auditorium, from that door, from outside, there is the string. And then you bring the string, and while it's tied there, you bring it and you carry it along down the front here, along the front. And then you carry it out there and right out that door, and the string is extremely long. And then you take, let's say, a, a thick permanent marker, and right here in the middle, on one point of the string, you put a little black dot, That is what your life is like in relation to eternity, except this is underestimating or underdescribing the reality of the situation. Wow. Eternity is a long time, and we serve an eternal God. What does this mean? It means that he lives outside of the realm of time. That's who he is. And with him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Another way of putting this is that there's no difference between a day and a thousand years to God. The two are the same. And I know that that blows your mind. It blows my mind too. But he's God. He's God. And so Peter is making it clear that Jesus is definitely gonna return. But the question is maybe, why does it seem that Jesus is taking so long to return? I mean, the believers that Peter is writing to, spread across Asia Minor, they are facing persecution. And they are longing to be delivered out of what they are facing. And so it seemed to them that God was very slow in fulfilling his promise. But Peter was clearly explaining that this delay or apparent delay was simply because God was working according to his own schedule, not ours. And his schedule is an eternal one. Listen to the statement. God is not slow. He's just not on our timetable. (laughs) God is not slow. He's just not on our timetable. But let me have him say that, say the following: that don't let that cause you to stumble. In losing and lose confidence in God in the parent delay, but rather understand that I serve a God who is the eternal God, Yahweh, the self-existent God, the eternal God. And I don't understand everything, but his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, and I worship you, God, because you are perfect in all of your ways. Come on, amen. You are perfect in all of your ways. And so we need to know that God's timing is perfect. Please say to the person next to you, God's timing is perfect. Tell them that. Now, the third point, which is a brief one. Listen to this. Number three, God is tremendously patient towards us. He is holding back the end so that all can come to repentance. You want to know what some of the things are being taught in the book of Peter? This is a very clear thing. God is tremendously patient toward us. He is holding back the end, so to speak, so that all can come to repentance. The last verse of our passage today is verse 9. I'd like to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act and is not slow about his promise, As some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, another reason, folks, why it appears that God is taking so long is that He is wanting more sinners to come to Him. He is wanting more sinners to repent and to turn to God. And that just shows you how much of a God of love he is. It is so wonderful. That is how our God is. And you know what? It makes it clear that God is extremely patient towards us. Another way of looking at it is you can say that God is extending the time of grace for people to be saved because he wants to give everybody, every opportunity to get saved. You will never be able to say, an unbeliever will never be able to say, God, you never gave me enough time. I'm sorry, God, you didn't. You're completely unfair. no. God says, I'm very patient and I'm waiting for more to come to Christ, more to come to Christ, more to come to Christ. And we can be grateful because some of our family members have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus and God has got their number and you keep on praying. And by the way, don't sit around and wait and do nothing. As a believer, while we're waiting for Jesus to come, we need to get busy with the work of the kingdom of God. God wants to use you in your workplace, in your lifestyle, everywhere you go, and so it's so important that we shouldn't sit around and do nothing waiting for Jesus. We have important kingdom work to do. We have a purpose to fulfill, and so let's get busy with the work of helping people know Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Helping people, no, Jesus. There's a last scripture that I'd like to read to you. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. I'll just read it to you. Reading it from the NLT. It says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Some people have got a wrong idea about God, and maybe they think, well, he actually likes it when wicked people are, stuffed, uh, are s- not stuffed out, snuffed out, forgive me. <laughs> but God says, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness. And you know what God really longs for people to turn from their unclean ways, and he is giving ample time for everyone to turn away from their ways. Let me tell you, the reality is right now, we are living in a period of grace. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of the favor of the Lord. This is the day when his favors profusely abound. This is the time to come to Christ. And so this is the time to repent and to turn to God. And let me tell you, this window of opportunity will not be open forever. That's why in this day, we need to respond to God. Because this is the day of salvation. Say that with me. This is the day of salvation. This is the time to get saved. And so we had an opportunity for people to come to Christ early on. But I wanna say to anybody listening to me right now at the end of our time online, I wanna say that if you need to repent and you need to come to God, I wanna encourage you, do not delay. Stop making excuses and surrender your life to God and just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I turn away from my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior and thank you that I can live for you. Have you received the word of the Lord today? Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Father, we want to thank you. Lord, this has been such a glorious time today. Oh, the worship time has been so beautiful and rich and being together with your body. We are a family. We are a community. And your word has spoken abundantly clearly. And we thank you that the word of God will abide in us, that the word of Christ may dwell in us richly. And now I just bless all your people. I say the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his smile upon you and give you peace. And we all say aloud, amen. 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 God bless you.